Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, hey, church, my name's Luke. I'm one of the ministers here at PCC. If you would, open your Bibles with me today to John chapter two. You know, nobody wants surprises at their wedding, but every wedding has one. When I do premarital counseling, I always tell the couple, look, I don't know what's gonna go wrong at your wedding, but I promise something will. There's a surprise at every wedding. At our wedding, my best man forgot the rings and he had to go sprinting back down the aisle during the opening prayer to go look for them. Nobody wants surprises at their wedding. Now, in terms of wedding mishaps, I'm sure ours could have been a lot worse. Take a look at some of these here. I went to a wedding where the DJ queued up the wrong Eric Clapton song for the first dance. Instead of Wonderful Tonight, he played I Shot the Sheriff. (laughs) Here's the next one. At our wedding, our minister kept calling my husband Mike, his name is Mark, when he asked Mike, do you take this woman? My husband's brother Mike yelled out, I ain't marrying her. Everyone busted out laughing, still married to Mark, 31 years and counting. I love it. Here's the next one. Someone wasn't watching how much bird seed the bridal party took. That looks like it was on purpose. There's a grudge in there somewhere. All right, next one. (laughs) While saying his vows, my uncle said, waffly wedded wife. So his wife gives him waffles on their anniversary. I love that. (laughs) And here's the last one. Last minute, they had kids go outside and grab flowers for the flower girl. A few minutes later, she was tossing poison ivy at people as she walked down the aisle. That is fantastic. And here today in John chapter 2, there is an unwelcome wedding surprise. I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, get the text open in front of you. I like to jot down notes in the margin of my Bible. Let's read the whole text together. Then we're going to circle back. We'll take it bit by bit. And then toward the end, I will give you the key to unending joy. How's that for a hook? All right, here we go. John chapter two, verses one through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So here's Jesus's first miracle. He turns the water into wine. It's pretty cool, but can I be honest with you for a minute? I've always read this text and kind of thought, like, don't get me wrong, this is a cool miracle, but it's kind of on the JV squad of miracles. Like, 
Nobody's dying, nobody's starving, nobody's demon-possessed. I mean, most of the people at this wedding don't even know that Jesus did this miracle. The DJ's just like, hey, dude, nice wine. He doesn't even know where it came from. I'm, I'm, not, I'm thinking, Jesus, if you're gonna launch your mission to save the world, why not start by feeding the 5,000 or walking on water or an earthquake or something that will get everybody's attention and say, hey, world, I'm the son of God, listen up. But instead... Jesus chooses to begin by doing his mom a favor and keeping a local family from being embarrassed at their wedding. And yet inside this little miracle is a big message. Jesus knew what he was doing. Here in John chapter two, it's like Jesus is giving us his business card. And it says, Jesus, bringer of joy. Throughout scripture, wine is often a symbol of joy. So Jesus is saying, hey, here's this. This is who I am. This is what I do. Because when Jesus is in charge, he takes empty jars and fills them with joy. So if you want some of that joy today, let's take a deeper look at how Jesus does it. Let's go back and take this text bit by bit. John starts out in verse one. He says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. On the third day, well, the third day since what? Well, you remember what came right before this? At the end of John chapter one, Jesus invites a guy named Nathanael to become one of his disciples. And so it's been three days since then. And now John says there's a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Now, the little village of Cana wasn't far from Jesus's own hometown of Nazareth. So Jesus probably knew some of these people, but actually, We also find out later in John's gospel, chapter 21, verse 2, that Cana is Nathanael's hometown. Well, why is that significant? Keep in mind, we always have to read scripture in context. We gotta look at what became before our text and what comes after our text. You might remember that right before this, at the end of chapter one, Riley preached this sermon a couple weeks ago. Jesus invites Nathanael to become one of his disciples, and he says, hey, you're gonna see even greater things than that. And now here we are, two verses later, three days later, and we're in Nathaniel's hometown, and Nathaniel's about to see something way greater than that. Jesus always keeps his promises. The story continues. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, I think that's pretty cool. Because I'm a minister, and I'm aware that being a minister comes with a certain stigma attached to it that a lot of people think they can't be themselves around the preacher because preachers don't have any fun. Well, that might be true about Steve, but (laughs) I I hope it's not true about me. And, And people definitely didn't feel that around Jesus. In fact, during this series through the Gospel of John, each one of the sermon titles is a title for Jesus, a name, something we could call Jesus. So we've had Jesus the Lamb and Jesus the Word, but now this week we see Jesus the Partier. In fact, Jesus went to so many parties that his enemies accused him of being a drunk and a glutton. Now, Jesus was not a drunk or a glutton, but he was kind of a party animal. Now, why do you think people invited Jesus to parties? I think it's because Jesus was fun. Like, you don't invite people who are boring. You don't want to hang out with the local Eeyore wet blanket party pooper. No, you want to hang out with people who are fun to be around. I think Jesus was a fun guy. If he went to weddings, I think Jesus danced. Hey, check it out, fellas. I call this one the moonwalking Messiah. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? 
And it wasn't just adults. Kids loved being around Jesus. I have little kids. They don't like hanging out with mean, grumpy pants people. They like being around people who are fun and tell jokes and get down on the floor and play with them. In fact, there's this book called The Humor of Christ by a Quaker scholar named Elton Trueblood. Shout out to the Quakers, because you know Quakers are definitely known for their sense of humor. (laughs) Well, in the book, Elton Trueblood tells about a time when he'd gathered his family around the table for family devotions, and they're reading from Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And right then, Elton Trueblood's little five-year-old son just bursts out laughing. And at first, Elton Trueblood didn't think this was appropriate. What are you doing? Laughing? That's sacrilegious. Knock it off. But his son said, <laughs> Daddy, Daddy that's, that's funny. Can you imagine? He's, he's trying to get the little speck out of the other guy. He's got a big old log sticking out of his eye. <laughs> the, the kid loved it. He could see it in his imagination as clear as a Saturday morning cartoon. You can imagine this. Guy comes walking in, white coat, holding a medical chart. Yes, I'll be your eye doctor for today. But, but he's got a big old two-by-four sticking out of his face, swinging around. I mean, this is funny stuff. All of a sudden, Elton Trueblood realized, yeah, That is funny. He'd read it so many times. He was so familiar with Jesus that he just didn't see it anymore. But then he he went back and he reread the Gospels with fresh eyes and he counted up at least 30 different times that Jesus' remarks would have drawn laughter from the original audience. Jesus can tell a joke. He's a man of joy. But here comes the unwelcome wedding surprise. Verse 3. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Uh-oh. <laughs> you see, in Jewish weddings, or in Jewish culture, weddings, they were a huge deal. The party could go on for a week, not just an evening. And keep in mind, this was a communal society, much more so than we are. And so this wedding wasn't about just two people coming together and celebrating their love. This was about two families coming together. This was an event that bound the whole community together. And so to run out of wine was to suggest that you were either not able to or did not care to provide for your family and for your community. This would bring shame on your family for decades, the ultimate party foul. Now, that's catastrophic if you're the bride or the groom. But zoom out here for a minute. Just just bear with me. From a cosmic perspective, it's not all that bad, right? Like, okay, so your wedding flopped. I'm sorry. But wedding mishaps happen every day. Why would Jesus care about that? Do you ever feel that? Like, Jesus... You're God. You, you created the universe. Why, why, why would you care about the little annoyances of my everyday life? I mean, half of them are my own fault anyway. You have better things to do, surely, than deal with me. But John chapter two reminds us that Jesus cares about the little stuff, even when it's our fault. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every Situation, not just the big things, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And so that's what Jesus' mom, Mary, does. She brings her request to Jesus. 
Now, by this point, Mary's husband, Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, has, has probably died. And so Jesus has probably been the one providing for his family until his siblings are old enough to hold down the fort so that Jesus can embark on his ministry. So Mary is used to relying on Jesus. Got a problem? Ask Jesus. That's her instinct. And it's a good one. It should be ours too. But look how Jesus responds. Verse four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. <laughs> wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what would happen to me if I talked to my mom like that. And I know because I did. And it didn't go so well. So listen, even though this response sounds harsh, we know that Jesus never sinned. So he's not being mean here. It's not like Jesus is just in a bad mood. This is one of those texts that I would have loved to hear his tone of voice. Maybe he said it with a smile or with a wink. I mean, what's going on here? Yes, it's true that Jesus does not address Mary intimately. He doesn't call her mom or mama. In fact, our text says woman. But really, it's, in, in their day, it would have been more like ma'am. You know, it's, it's not a disrespectful term, but it's not a close term. It, it puts some distance between he and his mother. It's a gentle rebuke. He's saying, ma'am, you don't fully quite understand what's going on here. My hour has not yet come. Jesus talks about his hour several times in the Gospel of John, and every time he does, he's talking about his death, which is the reason that he came. In other words, Jesus knows that if he does what Mary wants him to do, if he helps out with this wine problem and reveals who he is for everybody to see, then the crowds are gonna start to flock around him, investigators will be dispatched from Jerusalem, and a countdown clock will start ticking and will not stop until the cross. Mary doesn't know it, but she's asking Jesus to start walking toward his own death. So when Mary says, we're out of wine, Jesus responds by saying, ma'am, it's not quite my time to die. Can you imagine how hurtful that would have been for Mary to hear? I mean, this is her child. She gave birth to him. She nursed him. She prayed for him. She played with him. She watched him toddle and learn how to walk. But now, everything, even family, falls to the side as Jesus embarks on his divine mission. He's letting her know that he's not just the son of Mary. He's the son of God. He's Lord, and his mission is deeper than hers. His will is higher. His priority is to serve his father, not to appease his mother. And so in verse five, even after this hard truth, Mary's response here is pretty remarkable. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Thanks, Mary. We'll just wrap it up right there. End of sermon. Let's stand for the closing prayer and we can all go to lunch. Do what Jesus tells you to do. And it's even more remarkable because keep in mind, this is Jesus's first miracle. Mary had no idea what he was going to do, but she trusted that he would do something. So she brought her request to Jesus and then she stood back and let him go to work. And look what happens, verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, 
the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from between 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I don't have ceremonial washing jars here, but I do have some trash cans. These are 32-gallon trash cans, and so they're a little bigger than the ones in our text, but not by much. And uh, these would be used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. The Jews would wash before every meal. They would pour some water down their arm, let it drip off their elbow. Then they'd pour it down their arm, let it drip off their fingers. They'd rub their palm with their fist, rub their other palm with their fist. And this was good hygiene, but it also had a deeper meaning than that. This was something that good Jews did to remind themselves that they were dirty. They were sinners and and they needed cleansed. And it was these ceremonial purification jars that Jesus chose to do his miracle with. He could have chose some other kind of container, but he didn't. Why? Well, remember, this is Jesus's business card. He's saying, yeah, those those old rituals that you did to remind yourself that you needed saving, I've come to fulfill and surpass the old system Yes, that was just an external cleansing, but I will purify you from the inside out. I'm the real deal. This is who I am. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, oh great, here we go again. The preacher's talking about sin, yeehaw. But we can't understand the joy of Jesus without first understanding the tragedy of our own sin. And I think you don't need me to prove this to you. I think you know it intuitively. I think that when you sit alone in the quiet for a few minutes, you know you're broken. You know that there's an emptiness inside of you. You know that you're not yet who you should be. You know that when you look in the mirror, deep down, something is wrong with you. And that's why we are on this never-ending quest, this pursuit of happiness, as the Founding Father says. But try as we might, nothing, nothing will bring us lasting joy. Nothing can fix us from the inside out except Jesus. John would go on to write later in one of his letters to the church, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he'd say, yeah, it's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. And that's what this miracle with the purification water is pointing to. Take a look at this, verses seven through 10. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, (laughs) Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you've saved the best till now. So here it is, right? Jesus, he saves the day. He he turns the water into wine. He rescues this poor bride and groom from decades of embarrassment, a lifetime of shame. And amazingly, he doesn't just make enough wine to get by He makes anywhere from 120 to 180 gallons of wine, and not just any wine, the very best wine. And look what happens as a result. I love this. Verse 11 says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. The disciples trusted Jesus after they partied with him. 
And keep in mind, John is the one writing this. He's one of these disciples who saw this happen. So he's saying, yep, that's the moment when I knew that he was the one. Wow. And something that's interesting, in John's gospel account, he doesn't actually use the word miracles like the other gospels do. He calls them signs. Now, a sign is a miracle with a message. In other words, the point isn't just to wow us or to entertain us, but to teach us something. So what's the sign here with turning the water into wine? What does Jesus want to teach us? Well, we're not Jews, and unfortunately, we don't know our Old Testaments nearly as well as they did. But I think any Jew here reading John chapter 2 would think, oh, hey, that, that sounds like what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. Back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 25, the prophet is talking about how even though God's people have rebelled against him and they're going to suffer for it, there's a promised rescuer who's gonna come, the Messiah, and he will usher in a new age of God's blessing and favor. And how will we know it's him? What will be the mark of the Messiah's coming? Isaiah chapter 25, verse six. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. The best wine, that's the mark of the Messiah. But not just that. Take a look at what Isaiah says the Messiah will do when he comes, verses seven and eight. He says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. This miracle in John chapter two is not just to save a party. It's a preview of how Jesus is gonna save the world. It's his business card. And it says, Jesus, bringer of eternal joy, I'm the one that was promised. I have come to do my father's business to take away your disgrace, your guilt, and your shame. I have come to destroy death and to wipe the tears from the face of humanity. At a family wedding, at a podunk village, the universe is put on high alert. Pop the bottles. The kingdom is near. A new age has dawned. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. So, if Jesus is in the joy business, what does that mean for you? Well, as one preacher said, <laughs> if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I think that this church should be the best happy hour in town because our God is the most joyful being in the universe. Think about it. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The first one is love. The second one is joy. Joy is a mark of God's presence in your life. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, there's no shame if you're not feeling particularly joyful today. In fact, maybe you feel like your jars are kind of running empty. And maybe you feel like the wine is gone. Maybe, maybe you're trying to ration the wine. You're, you're trying to dilute it. You're trying to make the party last just a little bit longer. But try as you might. If you're honest, you're just scraping the bottom. You can remember when you used to have joy. Maybe when, when the jars used to be full, but, but not right now. A while back, I heard that the 
average three-year-old laughs 300 times per day. Uh, we have a three-year-old in our house. I think that's conservative. But the average 40-year-old laughs 40 times a day. Why is that? What, what happens between the ages of three and 40? I think we know. We could all tell stories of the day the wine ran out. The day our jars were empty and our joy left town. You can tell stories of fear and regret, stories of, of failure and what could have been of burned out families and struggling businesses and addictions that won't go away. You could tell stories of questions and doubts, things you hoped for, things you prayed for, dreams that went unrealized. When the wine ran out and the jars are empty, you know that feeling. But remember, when the wine runs out, the miracle begins. When Jesus is in charge, he takes empty jars and he fills them with joy. And here's how it happens, two things. Number one, do what he says. Do what he says. Mary said it best to the servants. Hey, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> and, and the servants do, they obey Jesus all the way. Verse seven says they filled the jars to the brim all the way up. You know, some of the time we obey Jesus, but not all the way, not, not to the brim. You know, I, I haven't been in ministry for all that long. I don't have a couple centuries of experience under my belt like Steve does. <laughs> but even in my first few years, so often, people will come in looking for help, confused at why their lives are falling apart and wondering what in the world is God doing. And they want God's healing and God's blessing and God's direction but they aren't doing the simple things that God's already asked them to do. Things like reading your Bible and praying or getting involved in church or not sleeping together before getting married or surrendering to Jesus in baptism or loving their wives selflessly or teaching their children in the ways of the Lord. They weren't filling up their jars to the brim, but they still expected a miracle. We should not expect God to give us the fullness of his joy until we are willing to give him the fullness of our obedience. Do what he says. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. Drink of his joy. Do what he says and then drink of his joy. You know, you can't manufacture your own joy but Jesus can give you a joy that will never run dry. I mean, think about it. What wedding needs 180 gallons of wine? Jesus made so much more than enough. And, and listen, I can't make this up. Can, can I tell you a story? About a, a little over an hour ago, I came in here to set up these trash cans and get ready to preach and all that. And I was setting them up and I noticed that down there on the floor in the fellowship center in front of the stage, there was some trash. And so I bent over to pick up the trash and I was gonna go throw it away. And I picked it up and I noticed it was a $100 wine voucher as I'm getting ready to preach on Jesus turning in the water into wine. Like, you can't make this stuff up. I don't even drink, but I'm amazed. And so, so, so four 
four questions pop into my mind as I see this. Number one, should I work this into my sermon? Yes, duh, of course. <laughs> Number two, can Jesus still provide wine in 2021? Absolutely. Question number three, should Jesus provide wine in 2021? Probably not. Like the way things are going so far, we should probably all try to stay as sober as possible. <laughs> and, and question number four, why did somebody have a wine voucher in church? And, and why did they leave it behind? Like, is this some strange new form of offering? We appreciate it, but, but it's a little bit weird. And for whoever did this, just for future record, I'm a little bit more of a sweet tea guy myself. Bottom line is this, Jesus brings joy and he cares about the little things. And yet Jesus may not give you wine today, but he can give you something so much better. John chapter one, Steve told us this, that out of his fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that Jesus is standing there with 180 gallons of grace ready to just pour it all over you, ready to fill your empty jar with his divine joy if you'll just let him. And I promise that there is enough for you, there's enough for me, there's enough for the one challenged person that you're praying for, there is enough for the whole world. So if you have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if your joy has run dry, if your jars are empty, then Jesus stands ready to shower you with his grace and fill you with his joy. Because where Jesus is in charge, he takes empty jars and he fills them with joy. So do what he says. Man, if you want to have a conversation about what it would look like to follow Jesus, to, to receive his joy that never ends, come talk to us. Man, go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism card. We would absolutely love to have a conversation with you. And as we walk together, church, with Jesus, may the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you for this surprising wedding. God, you are so gracious, even in the little things. You're such a generous God, and you stand ready to uncork the bottle of blessings and dump it all over us. And yet we know it came at a great cost. Because at that wedding, while everybody else around you was drinking happily, you sipped a cup of of sorrow, knowing that your death was on the way. And you gave us joy by laying your joy down. You died for the joy set before you. You endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so now, Lord, at this time, we're gonna sip this cup of communion and we're gonna drink deeply with gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So restore to us the joy of your salvation. Teach us to do whatever you say. You're in charge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.